And the pitch. We deliver baseball caps, myths, and everything you need for the game. But what you really get is so much more. FedEx delivery. Game day spirit. What we deliver by delivering. Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The Unstoppable Ones. You did say unstoppable, right? You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on the Mission Unstoppable. Anyone stop these people? Good evening, and I am the Unstoppable Coach Frankie Picasso, and you're about to go on another mission, Unstoppable. This time to a place of innovative influence that will blow your socks off. For like most of us, work takes up more than half of your waking time, and if you're honest, it probably eats into what some of us also refer to as leisure time. Now, for some of us, that can be two weeks a year when you take a vacation, or it can mean something entirely novel, like Timothy Ferris brought us in his four-day work week. However, if you are a business owner, an entrepreneur, a leader of an organization, or someone responsible for new business development, or someone who's just trying to climb the proverbial corporate ladder, or maybe just keep the job you have, it may feel like 70% of your life is taken up with work. Now, here comes the $60 million question. Are you enjoying what you do? You like networking, but you hate sales. You like sales, but aren't good at marketing. Perhaps you love leadership, but the one stuff, but you can't sell. Unfortunately, it would be best if you could do all three. Do them well and enjoy it. Remember, you're spending an awful lot of time spend it doing this thing that's called work. Well, fortunately for us, our guide this evening knows everything there is to know about how to be very good at all three. And not only that, she's very good at teaching the rest of us to be very good at all three, too. So stay tuned, stay close, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is the Unstoppable Frankie. If you're joining us on October the 6th, then you are listening to the live version of Mission Unstoppable Radio. The time in Toronto is 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 in Chicago, and 5 in Los Angeles. I'd also like to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network, and i especially like to thank you for tuning in each and every week. The lines are now open. The chat room is as well, so feel free to give us a call at 646-595-3741. My guest this evening is Susie Pomerantz. She's an award-winning coach, a recipient of the Woman of Achievement Award, and one of the first executive coaches to receive the Master Coach credential from the International Coach Federation. Susie has been coaching, teaching, and working with leaders and teams in over 135 organizations internationally for over 16 years. Her coaching firm, Innovative Leadership International, specializes in organizational coaching, leadership development, and business development. She works across government agencies with private sector clients, including seven companies on the Fortune 100 list. She is a coaching veteran in the legal industry, and she's coached leaders in seven corporate law departments and a dozen law firms. She also has experience in other fields, such as consulting, financial services, hospitality, manufacturing, and federal and state government, educational institutions, and more. Her work is at the intersection of coaching, leadership, and business development. So what is she doing here tonight besides getting ready to blow your socks off? Well, a whole lot. So we'll get started and we'll meet her in just right now. So please welcome Susie Pomerantz to Mission Unstoppable. Good evening, Susie. Hi, Frankie. Thank you. My goodness, that's quite the introduction to live up to. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're quite the woman. What can I say? It's always, it always sounds so great when you hear about yourself. <laughs> 
How did I ever get all that done? And and, and I'm like 20. (laughs) I'm listening to your introduction thinking, wow, I want to meet her. (laughs) I know. We we all want to meet you. We all want to meet you. And you are very, very popular. And, and, you know, everybody loves Susie. Oh, good heavens. Well, well, they do. They do. Um, Susie is a superb executive coach and facilitator. Susie brings out the best in everyone she coaches, and I highly recommend her. Susie is an out-of-the-box thinker when it comes to marketing. For my life coaching practice, she's very intuitive and sees the big picture. What an exuberant personal presence and a keen sense for understanding what drives professionals to excellence. Susie has a unique ability to integrate leadership with business development. Susie is one of the most inspiring, creative, and competent people I've had the pleasure of working with. Those are just a couple of the testimonials. That, that I've read about you. Oh, goodness. So now my heart is thumping really loud in my chest. And I'm thinking, how am I possibly going to live up to all that? <laughs> well, you know, you do have a lot going on, and, and like so much going on. It's absolutely amazing. But the, the thing that fascinates me that I like to talk about first, and we'll get into all of the other things that you're doing, is that you're teaching folks how to tap into their natural uh, persona- personality styles of working, and you assist them on, on systematically and strategically developing business by integrating business networking and sales. Now, you know, let, let's just take this, this show at this, at this juncture right now as a, as a business coaching experience, because a lot of people might be saying to themselves, well, you know, times aren't really good, I, I can't really afford a business coach, business isn't that great, but now is really the time when they need a business coach because now well, they, can, you know they can lead the pack. You know what? Actually, it's a great – I'm really glad you started with that topic, Frankie, because so much of the attitude that prevails globally right now is that times are really tough and I can't afford X. And what's interesting about that mindset is that that generates more of the same. And so much of leadership and business development really at the core comes back to our mindsets. What are our attitudes, our beliefs, our limiting beliefs, or our expansive beliefs that are then driving and coloring our behaviors and actions and thoughts and views of the world? And so um, one of the things that that I've been consistently saying to myself and others ever since uh, it was declared a recession (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that I, I'm not participating in this recession. I choose I'm not, not to either. participate. I'm not you either. Know, it, and it, yeah, it just goes back to the mindsets. And so it's so easy if we're getting bombarded with messages from the Wall Street Journal, from any news channel you turn on, CNN, from uh, you know any anywhere that you're getting your news, you're getting bombarded of, with these messages of despair, recession, depression, et cetera. And just now they're starting to talk about recovery and et cetera. But it's really been bleak news, and it's hard not to get sucked into that. And so there are a lot of practices, leadership practices, that help keep us on track with an, a, a mindset or a, mind, a mental framework of abundance or positive. It's more than positive thinking. It's really about all the law of attraction stuff and yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, um, as you know, I've just moved, and so I don't normally spend the day out shopping, but I was out shopping, and the malls are packed. They're absolutely packed during the day. Like, where? how do all these people, aren't they working? You know, are they all shopping? And, and, well, no, and, they're and, not working. They're well, out of jobs. Well, but they're shopping. So, right. so you know, they're spending their money. <laughs> they're spending money, and they're shopping, and they're at the gas pumps, and they're buying food, and, and they're doing all the things that they've always done. Um, it doesn't look like people are doing things differently to me. No, but they're stressing about it. So, where well, we're, are they you know, stressing about it, though, Susie? Things. Because because people are telling them that they should be stressing <laughs> that there is at work. But yeah, everybody yeah. I speak to is employed and gainfully and and 
things are, you know, are not so bad. As a matter of fact, I got an email today where, you know, a guy was jumping up and down because he had lunch with um, uh, a gentleman who owned a very high-end restaurant and said, you know what, business is booming. So business is booming in high-end restaurants, and people are going to spend their money on food. Um, then it looks like the recession is over. That's what they're saying. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, and there's always people with money, even in the bleakest of times. But what happens is the people who have money feel embarrassed about spending it in the bleakest of times because they don't want to be, um, you know, making a more overt distinction between the haves and the have-nots, you know, because there's some negative connotations for them in doing that. So what happens is the people with money go into hiding (laughs) during a recession. You know, they sort of spend on the Internet as opposed to out in public. But, you know, as soon as there are signs of recovery, everyone's out at the malls and spending money at restaurants, et cetera. I noticed that actually just today as well. I had a lunch meeting at a restaurant, in a, and it was in a high-end mall. And, um, and for the past six to nine months, I would say that that area, the restaurants have not been packed at lunchtime. And I got there today right when they opened, and there was a mob at the door waiting to get in. And I thought, wow. there's a sign of recovery for you, right? People yeah. are waiting to get in when they open. That's great. That is great. Well, you know, I, I think that people, um, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting time that, that if they wanted and they've thought about starting their own business but have been afraid to leave you know, a job, let's say they've lost their job, now is a really good time to start that business. It's a great time. But it takes planning to do that, right? Okay. You, you know, so many people have fabulous ideas and set about to start a business and begin their entrepreneurial adventure. And there's a lot of learning that happens along the way about what it takes to actually have a business. It's a lot more than just a good idea, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's a lot of actually knowing how to lead and manage <laughs> and run a business that a lot of us learn along the way. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you know, also on the other hand, though, then you have people who who say, "Well, gee, I had that idea, but they didn't implement it." That's so, right. You know, so you have to implement. You have to implement. You have to have a good idea. You have to implement it, and then you have to learn the three things that that, that you're going to talk to us about tonight about integrating That's your business right. and your networking Absolutely. and your sales. So maybe we should let, let's break that down then. Let's talk about what we mean when we talk okay. about integrating business, networking, and sales. What is networking? So so there's this larger umbrella which is called business development and business so what happens is we have it all commingled in our language and we and our language just in the way we talk about it casually gets very sloppy and so what I want to do is sort of spend a little bit of time defining the terms yep. um so that we can have those distinctions clear and and know what we're talking about when we're talking about it so some people when they're talking about wanting to get more clients and get more money into their business, get a cash infusion from people who are buying their products or hiring their services. They call that marketing, but truly that's called sales. So let mm-hmm. me start at the top. The umbrella is called business development, or sometimes it's called rainmaking. Mm-hmm. But that big umbrella is broken down into three compartments. It's essentially a three-legged stool. And the stool will not balance unless you have all three legs you know, working for you. So the three legs are networking, marketing, and sales. And the secret to success in growing your business is integrating sustained activity across all three legs of the stool simultaneously. So breaking that down a little further, what networking looks like is networking at at its purest level. You know, I talk to people all the time who say, oh, I hate networking. I hate going to those networking meetings. I'm an introvert. I'm no good at that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when you put on a suit, stuff your pocket full of business cards, and get up at dawn to go to one of these breakfast meetings. That's not what I'm talking about when I say networking. Networking at its purest level is really only about creating genuine human connections. That's you with another being connecting 
on any level that works may not be about business at all. There may not even be an opportunity to talk about business. But networking is really the starting point. That's really the key to everything, and that's that's the activity that has to be ongoing at all times. And the people who understand that are the ones who are the most successful. Yeah, you know, I, I've never, I get so turned off by people who come up to me and just want to start talking business right away and, and sell me something without building that relationship. Because, you know what, we do have relationships and friends and, and people that we trust and people that we go to who probably do those very same things. And and so it is about taking time to build relationships. And, um, you know, when when I was going to sell my book, I mean, it probably took a year of, of meeting people, and I never once mentioned my book, never once said, oh, I'm writing a book, you know, I hope you'll buy it when it's done. It was just, right. <laughs> it wasn't intentional, but it was still, you know, building relationships, showing people that they can trust your advice, showing people that you, you do what you say you're going to do. And then when the time came, and I said, you know what, I, I've just written this book, and I'd really like it if you'd help me, you know, by buying it. Then boom, everybody was, was ready to do that because the relationship had been set. And, and I had been giving advice and giving all sorts of things to them for a long period of time, building that relationship and trust. And I think that's what you're talking about. It's not going to a meeting and handing out business cards. They could care less who you are. Right. You have, and it's you also not about them. collecting business cards at these meetings, too. Yeah. It's really about leading with value, being of service, coming from a place of seeking to help. And yeah. you know, one of the things that I wrote about in my book, in Seal the Deal, is about the nine mindsets of networking. And there are, I'm not going to go into all of those now, but the the mindsets of networking involve this, you know, being of service and leading with service and seeking to add value. And it's not, a, and it's about connecting at that genuine human level and and seeking all the places where you connect. And, and there's um, uh, there's a famous study that uh, um, that sociologists did years ago where they said, you know, if you take the two most opposite people in the entire world mm-hmm. and put them in a room with a translator, because probably they'd speak different languages. What you'd find if they spent long enough working at it is that they have more in common than not. The mm-hmm. two most opposite people in the world, right? Yeah. So if we look at that as a foundational mindset for networking, then there's an exciting opportunity of exploration that opens up in anyone that we're meeting and talking to. It's, hey, there are more things that we have in common than not, so let's go explore those and figure out where we can play together, where is the synergy, and maybe there isn't any, but let's go figure it out and let's have fun along the way. Um, And it's so funny, so many times people say to me, yeah, but, you know, I go to these events and I meet someone and I'm starting to talk to them and they're the most boring person in the world and all I can think of is how do I get out of this conversation and then I waste all my time with that person. And my philosophy there is, you know what, why? Why waste your time with someone who's boring to you? If they're boring to you, chances are they're bored as well. So mm-hmm. just get out of the conversation, right? There's six billion people on the planet. Yeah. Chances are you could find someone else to talk to. That's right. You know? That's right. You know, one of the one of the, the greatest networkers I know, um, Dr. Ivan Meisner, who who was on the show not that well last year I guess it was, who owns B and I, you know, his philosophy is givers get. And and I think that's a really great way to look at it. Just you just always be ready to extend that hand and you know, even even you know, here's the handshake first, hi, my name is, um, and give her what can I do to help you? And and just yeah, always and be ready to do that. And then people, you know, they, they do tend to open eventually, you know. Yep. They'll say, Hey, and there's you know a what? Great... <laughs> right? Yeah. And there there's a really great book along those lines. You know the whole concept of being a go getter out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, well there's a great book written by Bob Berg and David Mann called The Go Giver. Have you heard about this book? 
I haven't heard about that, no. That's oh, like it's great. so great. It's so great. It's it's called The Go-Giver, uh-huh. um, and, and uh, they're actually making it into a movie. It's written as a business parable, and um, and these guys did a great job with it, and, and you know, they're sweethearts to boot. I actually met them. Oh, um, nice. But it, they... But the Go Giver, it's a little, it's a, it's a parable. So it's a story. It's an easy read. But the idea is that there's these five laws of success, um, and you know, one is the law of value, which is, you know, yeah. giving more than you take, right? One is the yeah. law of compensation, and the law of compensation says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. Uh-huh. Isn't that cool? And the law of influence, so, yeah. another one. You know, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Yeah. And the law of authenticity is about, you know, being your authentic self and giving of yourself. And the law of receptivity is being open to receiving. You know, it's hard to be a good giver if you're not open to receiving. And that's the place that a lot of people fall down, in my experience. Yeah, I worked a whole year on that. (laughs) Yeah, if you think of yourself as a giver. Yeah. Right. If you think yeah. of yourself as a giver, you, it's very hard to receive. And so one of the keys of success is knowing how you feel about giving. And it feels so good to give and it feels so good to help other people and it feels so good to be a stand for someone else's success. Yeah. Why not give that gift to other people and let it. other people do that for you? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. I love that. And and that was Burke and Mann. Is that what you said they were, the names were? Yeah, Bob Berg, B-U-R-G, oh, and oh, David Mann, okay. M-A-N-N. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, great. And they're now they're making it into a movie right now, and they have a whole website. I don't know what their website is offhand, yeah. but it's a great little book. It's a very quick, easy read. I definitely recommend it. Love it, but love it. Yeah, love yeah. the whole concept of being a go giver. But anyway, so back to um, the distinctions between networking, marketing, and sales. So that was all networking, and then marketing. So networking is the relational piece, right? Yep. And then marketing, I call that the preparational piece because it's all the stuff that you do. It's all the back-of-the-house stuff that you do to prepare your message to go to market, right? So it's all of the things that you do to figure out how you're going to articulate out into the world what you do and some of the medium choices that you're going to make. So it's about creating a website, the collateral material like your logo and business card, etc. It's about writing articles, writing books. It's anything that you do that involves public speaking, anything that's about getting your message out there and it's a critical piece in building your brand, creating your identity, in creating your visibility and exposure in the world. So that is one other leg of the stool is the, the marketing piece of it. And then the third leg of the stool is, is the sales piece. Um, and everybody hates question? to sell, <laughs> except for me. I love to sell. <laughs> well, okay, so I, th- that's the funny thing is that everyone thinks they hate to sell but they're always until, selling. Well, until they realize that, Sales is not a dirty word, right? It's just we've sort of been brought up with this whole concept of, you know, sales people are pushy and aggressive and um, the used car salesman and all that. But but when we actually realize that every single conversation we're engaged in, every single conversation is a sales conversation. Yeah. You know, then we start to see, well, um, okay, so how am I defining it? And am I defining it in a way that's a limiting belief? Am I defining it in a way that doesn't support me and that's getting in my way of accomplishing all that I want to accomplish in life? And I can tell you just a little story from my own experience. When I started my company 16 years ago, I had come out of being a school teacher. I had gotten my master's in teaching, and I had spent my whole life wanting to become a teacher. And when teaching wasn't it for me, <laughs> and yeah, I had to figure yeah. out what next in a complete vacuum, um, it was a matter of, 
um, you know, there's a number of things that I did in terms of the soul searching process and informational interviews, and I learned a lot along the way. And then when I started my coaching company, I didn't know a thing about building a company or running an enterprise. And and a couple of years into it, I was at a real turning point where I was ten thousand dollars in debt, and I had to make a decision: do I bail on this thing that I started building, or is there some way that I can move forward? And one of the things that happened was I had a conversation with my coach who basically said to me, well, you know, in the last two years of building your business, have you learned anything? I was like, well, yeah, I've learned all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if you had gone to school to get another master's degree, to get an MBA, how long would that have taken you? And I said, well, you know, two to three years. He said, okay. And how much would that have cost you? Well, I don't know, upwards of 30 grand. He said, okay, so in the last two years and for the $10,000 that you've spent, have you learned anything that you could apply? Have you learned anything that you would consider a real-life MBA? And that was a real turning point for me, and I was able to commit to my business in a different way Well, yeah, and from that point on, you know, within six months of that point, I was doing a sustainable six-figure income. And and the the turnaround point for me was in distinguishing sales, not as some horrible thing that I don't know how to do, right? It was very easy to say, I'm a coach, I'm not a salesperson. That's not part of what I do. Um, I'm in this to help people, not force myself on people. That was the way I thought about it then. That was my limiting belief. But what I shifted it to was, well, why am I a coach? Well, I'm a coach because I like to really help businesses. I like to help people. I like to make a difference. I like to have an impact, a profound impact. Well, sales is that. Right. Sales is nothing more than a series of conversations that allows you to create the opportunities to do what you love and do best. And and once I was able to shift sales from meaning that I was this pushy broad to meaning that I was creating ways for people to get help, which yeah. is all I really wanted to do in the first place, then it shifted everything for me, and sales stopped being a dirty word. It started being a playful, fun word. You know, that's really interesting. And playful, fun, I want to come back to that. But one of the a gazillion years ago when I was selling insurance, <laughs> on yeah. a dare that I couldn't do it, um, it, it one manager was very, very clever, and, and he said something to me I never forgot, and I, and I passed this on to everybody that I that I could. And and what he said, because it was it was direct sales, it was knocking on doors, and he said to me, you know what, everybody has the right to know. And so when I got that feeling, I don't want to knock on another door, I don't want another no, I don't want to tell people anything else, I don't want to sell them anything. It was, okay, but they have a right to know about this, and then they can choose, because if they don't know about it, you don't know what you don't know. So it was really important for them to know, and then they could you know, make make an informed decision, yes or no. But what you said about playful is really great because in, in, in my coaching and, and probably yours as well, is putting that game, um, you know, versus that significance into that into that no and into those those conversations that you have with people about sales and about, you know, buying your product or buying your service or whatever it is that you're going to buy. And for those people who don't like to make those calls or don't like to knock on doors or, or don't like to do that, you know, the thing is that, Maybe you need to take some of the significance out of that that no that rejection that you that perceived rejection and and make it fun and it's not just yeah it's exactly what you're saying because it's not just the the no and the perceived rejection it's and it's so funny because what you said before when you said everybody has the right to know you were saying k n o w no they have the right to know about what you're offering yeah. and I heard it. I heard it as the other no. Everybody has the right to say no is the way I heard it. Wow. (laughs) And and both are true. I think both are true. Yeah, both are true. Both are true. But, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know. So if we don't tell you, 
then you don't know. You might be missing out on something that you really want. Who knows? That's right. That's right. And and on it, you know, of course, you have to believe in what you're selling, otherwise, you can't sell it. So you do, you do. You have to be in alignment, and you have to be, you have to be honest, and you have to really believe it. But in coaching, you know, what I can, even today, as as long as you've been in business 16 years, and I've been a coach, today people still don't know what coaches are and what they do. So you have to tell them. They don't yeah. know. Yeah, and I do you find so this is an interesting question for me to ponder out loud with you because this is something that um I've been ruminating for probably the past year. I've been wondering what is what is causing the market confusion about coaching because it's pretty clear to me what coaching is. And so what I've what I've come to realize and I'd love your perspective on it is that those of us who coach in organizations are are those of us who coach leaders and call ourselves executive coaches or leadership coaches we're almost a profession within the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the larger profession seems to be predominantly life coaches, and then there's a cross-section of people who are who call themselves life and business coaches, right? And then there's those of us who call ourselves business coaches, focused predominantly in business. A- and And I think that there are really clear distinctions, for me anyway, in my head between those different elements of coaching, but I don't think there's clear distinctions in the marketplace. Is that your experience as well? Yes, I think that, I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, um, I, I think the life co- even like first of all, they don't even know what life coaches do. <laughs> this yeah. is almost easier to explain than, than a life coach. But the, there was the crossover, I think, between the consultant coach and, and jumping on the coach bang, bandwagon when coaching came out and sounded so neat. Um, and and so there was a real. There's still a hard distinction between being a consultant, hiring a consultant, and hiring a coach. And I, in my mind, they are different, um, yeah. and, and the procedure is different. Um, but well, definitely. The, the consultant comes with benchmarks and specific uh, resources, research information yeah. that they give you. You know, they come with answers. Yeah, yeah, they come with Whereas the, the coach... You know, may have some experiences to share, but the coach comes with questions, right? Yeah, the coach comes with questions. Yeah, yeah. And you know, but when it, when everything comes down to when it all comes down to, to for me for the essence, it, it's all about the person anyway. I mean, it's a business, but it's the person because it's the person who is running the show. So of in in, in that sense, it really is life coaching. Everything is, is you know comes down to it, except that you have a um, a different expertise and a different a, a different clientele. Well, I would uh, so going back to semantics for me, it's not life coaching; it's individual coaching, right? Because we're coaching the, the whole individual, and we're coaching them as a leader in their business context. And of course, their personal life can't be separated out of that because it's part part and parcel of the whole. Um, and you can't just ignore that. Um, but to me, life coaching, as a distinction from business coaching, is that life coaches are coaching the person's life, you know, all the aspects of their life. And in business coaching, it's around the context of business results, and um, and then there's a strategic element, and there's a system, there's a systems element to it. So there's a lot more going on. There's more dynamics of complexity um, in the business coaching because there's uh, there's layers of um, stakeholders that aren't right. necessarily there. There are, you know, in the the life coaching. That's right. You know, you're absolutely right about that. I, I like to think of it though, um, in in the coaching, even from life to to business, as as being their champion. So you're championing them to success in mm-hmm. all of the cases. Mm-hmm. And and how you do that is, and you're right. The, there is, 
a, a larger stakeholder group with, with business coaching. And there's a difference, you know, in my mind, because I, I, I did all three, you know, between leadership coaching, business and corporate coaching, and executive coaching. There, there's, there's a difference in all of those. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And so I don't know, you know, if you're out there and you're listening to this show live and you want to call us, you know, we'd like to have your perspective on have you had an executive business coach? Are you CEO? Did you ever use coaching? Uh, you know, are you middle management? Do you have yourself a coach? Is there a corporate coach in your organization? I know banks have a lot of, had a lot of in-house coaches. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they got on that bandwagon really early. Mm-hmm. Um, I think use them a lot, which is really great. The financial institutions, you know, what other kind of company is is using coaches in house all the time? You know, it's it's also funny to look at the um, well, all kinds of industries are using coaches in house full time, but it's also interesting to see how the language of coaching has infused the operational language of business because now there are a lot of organizations that rather than creating an internal coaching cadre or an internal coaching program that's actual people who are coach trained, a lot of organizations are just saying, okay, you know what, we need to get on the coaching bandwagon. We need to have coaching in our culture. So what we're going to do now is require all managers and leaders to also be coaches. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Which is a little bit hard for them. I mean, definitely. Hard. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. Because you need, you need to, well, it, it's like you have to be able to ask yourself the questions and get the answers. <laughs> well, and also, frankly, leaders and managers really have important functions to fulfill yeah. in organizations, and I'd rather they not take their eye off of that ball and try to be coaches too. You know, it's a little too much to ask of them all at once. You know, if they have that natural skill and if they have that interest and if they want to go get coach training and if they want to integrate that into who they are as leaders or managers, okay, fine, there's nothing, there's no harm there. But right. it doesn't, you know, it's a, it can be used as a methodology or a style of leadership, but it's actually not really doing what a full coaching program would do if you had that's right know, actual dedicated coaches. So so you which which kind of I guess is a good segue into your your um maybe your your rainmaker made easy program. Oh, so the rainmaking made easy program came from well I guess I have to back up to how I wrote the book. So Oh, let's talk okay, let's talk about seal the deal because I think everything fell from that, right? Well, yes and no. It, so okay. it it goes. It all goes back to here. I was doing this executive coaching business, and I was working in all these Fortune 100 companies. And every time I would go to connect with colleagues at coaching events or coaching conferences, I was looking for my peers. And all I, everywhere I went, I kept meeting people who were either new to coaching or wanting to get into coaching who wanted to know how to sell coaching. They wanted to know how am I talking about coaching? How am I describing it? How am I getting into these organizations? And so because there was so much interest in that, um, at first I got very frustrated and annoyed, and then I realized that there was an opportunity there. So um, I channeled my annoyance into creating a teleclass for a core group of people that basically had been bugging me about it for a while, and I said, okay, fine, if you all want to get a a group together, I'll do a teleclass, we'll do a 10-session series, and we'll talk about what you know, all the elements of what it takes to grow your coaching business. And now, were these all kinds of coaches, or just business coaches? Well, at the time, the first one I did was actually a group of PhDs, many of which were in the psychology industry, mm-hmm. who were looking to either expand their service offering with coaching, or they were looking to transition into coaching. Um, so you know, let me, let me, I want to just ask you one thing because I, I like your opinion on it because it was kind of interesting when I when I taught coaching. Um, one of the things I looked at was who was coming into coaching. And a lot of the people who were coming into coaching did have at least an, at least a master's, if not a Ph.D., 
And they either came from a sales background, it seemed like, or they came from a psychology, sociology background. I found that really fascinating. Did you find, have you found that? Yeah, I have found a lot come from, um, either they come from their own executive ranks, so they are retired out of being a leader in a corporation, or they just wanted to get out of the corporate rat race and start their own consultancy, and coaching seemed a natural fit for them. Or they were people who had hired coaches as an executive, and from that point, enjoyed the experience so much that they wanted to learn how to do it <laughs> yeah. and created a career change for themselves. Um, but I, a lot came out of sociology, psychology, and you know the, the, the helping professions there. Sure, yeah. No surprise there. I found that no the sales surprise. and marketing was kind of surprising a little bit. That is kind of surprising. Yeah, that is kind of surprising. And, and there's a fair number, too, equally surprising, of lawyers turned coach. Yes, um, yes. Which always intrigues me. <laughs> me, too. Me too. But there was one neuro, neuro, neuropsychologist or brain surgeon too, and I'm like, what? Why would you want to be a coach? Well, crazy. you know, there's actually a natural progression. You know, there's a lot of stuff coming out now about neuroscience and coaching yeah. and coaching the brain, and it's really fascinating stuff. It is really fascinating stuff. Yeah. But uh, interesting. I, sorry to stop you there. I just thought it just came to mind. I thought, wow, yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Who is in coaching and and you know, and and they do seem to have a different background, though, from, let's say, the, the average consultant or somebody who uh, other professions where people where people help. So, because they, they they're they're fairly rounded, but obviously well educated. Yeah. Oh, definitely well educated. That is a yeah. consistent theme, and uh, and an older cross segment of the population, generally uh-huh. speaking. You're not finding the twenty somethings entering the coaching field as much as you're finding the forty and fifty somethings entering the coaching field. Well, do you think that that it's part of it is that you know if you're going to be an executive coach and you're twenty years old, like what do you know about business? Number one, but number two, um, you're going to be talking to somebody in their fifties and you're twenty years old. I'm going to look at you and go like you're my my child's age. How, how? Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that's one of my that's one of my um, most funny unstoppable memories. <laughs> when I started my coaching business, I was 24 years old, and uh-huh. and I walked into one of my first big corporate gigs, and it was in a really big one of the Fortune 100s, and. I walked into this executive's office, and I could just see the look on his face right away. Like, clearly, he had been an executive longer than I'd been alive. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and I could tell in that first moment, that was like a make-it-or-break-it moment. And I could tell, I looked in his eyes, he looked in mine, and he had this look on his face, and I said... I know what you're thinking. That was the first thing I said to him. And yeah. he got very amused, and he sat back in his seat, and he folded his arms, and he said, what am I thinking? <laughs> Game on, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I took the challenge, and I said, you're thinking, who the hell is this little girl, and what does she have to teach me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At which point, he started laughing, because that was exactly what he was thinking. And I said, I don't know that I have anything to teach you. I said, you're an expert in your industry, but I've got expertise in mine, so why don't we put our heads together and see what we can make happen. And that was the beginning of a six-year coaching relationship. Wow. Good for you. So that was, yeah, so, but your point is right on. You know, When you're 20-something and you've never been in business, how do you know? And I didn't know, but I didn't have to know because I wasn't coming in as a consultant. I was coming That's in as right. a coach. That's right. And, that, and so, therein, therein lies the difference. <laughs> exactly. Because you're not there to mentor, you're not there to tell them anything. Right. I'm there to guide a process. That's right. 
So I so going back to the teleclass, which was the foundation of the book, and then the Rainmaking Made Easy product, is that the the teleclass we did several rounds of it because it was what was surprising was that I thought in designing the teleclass that it was going to be for new coaches or wannabe coaches, and who ended up being who ended up signing up for the teleclass were people who I would have thought had already had a handle on these things. You know, some of them were my peers who'd been in the coaching business as long as I had, and I was really surprised. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I realized there's something here. This is speaking to all levels of coaches. And so um, so what we did was we had recorded all of the, you know, it was a 10-session teleclass series, and we did it four or five times. And we had all those recordings, and we took all those recordings, and we had them transcribed. And then that was the foundation of the book. Oh, great. Yeah. So, so, so each, each chapter or each, each is, is a um a lesson by somebody or, or it's a case study by somebody? Is that... No, no, no. Each chapter of Seal the Deal is one of the teleclass sessions. Oh, one of the teleclass sessions. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so so it's actual transcription. It's an amalgamation of the transcriptions from a number of teleclasses on that subject. But okay. you know but it's when you read through it, it reads like one teleclass that you're sitting through. So um so that was the foundation of that. But because we had those recordings, you know, when you think about leverage, yeah. those recordings I had I had probably 40 hours of recordings because it was, you know, four sessions of a 10-session series. So from those 40 hours, we we edited it down to just the juiciest, meatiest content and down to four hours of content. And the Rainmaking Made Easy product is that four-hour audio. You can download it as an MP3 file and it's, um, wow, it's that's available fantastic. for you to go. So it's not like learn. I think I think I heard you say that it's not a book that you might read through in one setting, but it's something that you'll go to as a as a guide and a bible to what is just in time, just in time coaching for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. It's written because it's broken down into the um, the ten teleclasses. Of course, it has all the handouts and all the worksheets and all the um, you know. There's some transitional examples and things like that, but you can go through it. You can either read it cover to cover, but if you're not that kind of person who likes doing that, you can do it as a series of classes on the topics that you want. You know, you can just flip around in it, um, or you can just pick it up, open it up anywhere, and you know, see if there's something relevant on that page for you. You know, it's not it's not the kind of book that you have to read cover to cover, or you're not going to get it. Right. So, so seal. Okay. So, so take us now. Seal the deal, um, and you have a new ebook going to come out next month or so called Seal the Deal: Networking: How Coaches and Leaders Connect in the Age of Social Media. Is this also based on 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 a teleclass, or is this something different? It is. It's slightly different because those. Um, what happened after I wrote Seal the Deal was that um, there started to be a lot of demand around those topics, and I started being invited to talk as um, guest faculty at, at a number of the coach training programs around the country, um, actually around the world. And so yeah. what ended up happening was um, I started to be somewhat of the poster child in the coaching industry for business development and the content of Seal the Deal. And then when social media really started taking off, um, that was something that I felt from an integrity perspective I needed to learn. If I'm going to be talking about networking, marketing, and sales, and there's all these great tools out there, I need to learn them. So mm-hmm. I went on a fast-track learning path, and and then that started being something that I was asked to teach um, coaches as well. So I was doing some classes around Twitter for coaches and um, you know, looking at when you're looking at networking, marketing, and sales, here are these different tools and how they can support you. And so, um, so I started teaching a lot of teleclasses around Twitter for 
business coaches primarily, how to get going on Twitter, how to get started now, that sort of thing. Why? <laughs> yeah. Why well, I want to. I, I was my first. That was my next question. Why do I? You know. Okay. You get on Twitter, and I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate here. You get on Twitter, and I find somebody is is cooking dinner for their husband. Whoop de doo. Why do I care? Yeah. Who cares? Who yeah. cares about that? Right. Yeah. So I'm exactly. I was exactly in the same place you are, and most people are before they before they see the value of it and the power of it, and and the power of Twitter is not. Um, people commenting on the mundanity of their day-to-day lives. The power of Twitter. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the power of Twitter is that it is probably the only tool that I know of out there that allows you to truly network, again, going back to the core definition of networking as connecting with human beings in a genuine way, mm-hmm. allows you to do that from 24-7 from the comfort of your own computer. So, Think of the best-case scenario where you're networking. If you could be networking all the time with everybody in the world, mm-hmm. that's what Twitter is. It's, just, it's a huge opportunity. It's a huge party that's going on all the time. It's a huge streaming conversation that's there and available to you all the time, like a river running by your office. And you can just dip, dip your little toe in it, or you could just watch it go by, or you could jump in all the way and splash around a bit. You know, you have a lot of options there. But the so power of coach, though, are you are you looking? Well, you're teaching business coaches about Twitter or coaches about Twitter. So, are you are you specifically searching for coaches, or um, like how are you building your Twitter list? And how if 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 I was to be a corporate coach, let's say. How might I find business on Twitter? So Twitter goes. Twitter is, if we look at the distinctions of networking, marketing, and sales, mm-hmm. Twitter is a networking tool and a marketing tool. It's not a sales tool directly, right. but to the right. extent that you're building relationships through it, then it does lead to sales. Um, right. So going back to the philosophy of being a go-giver, right? If you're a go-giver and you're leading with value and you're seeking to be of service and to help and to contribute, that's what you do on Twitter as well. So the most powerful users of Twitter are putting things out there that are of service to other people. They're sharing links that are interesting. They're sharing quotes that are impactful. They are directing people to resources that are helpful. Um, so you're not out there you're not out there on Twitter going, here's all about me and what I'm doing today and here's what I'm selling because you wouldn't walk into a party. Let's say you walked into a party, 25 people in the room, yeah. you wouldn't walk into the party and announce, hi, I'm Susie, I sell coaching. Right, <laughs> this is not right. how we behave. And so the power of Twitter is to be able to go in and do just what you would do at a party. You might find some people you know and have little conversations with them or you might kind of watch the conversation going by for a little while before you jump in, or you might um, you might say, hey, you know what, I'm really interested in exploring this topic, and is that something that we could talk about? So, so you, you, know, you, you can behave on Twitter in the ways that are most successful for you in behaving in real-life interactions, and that's what I like about it. It's not a contrived, you know, sort of souped-up email like Facebook. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so my, my next question then, Susie, is I, I, I'm on Twitter, I've got, you know, 400 people who follow me, and, you know, I might be I follow 1,000 people, whatever the case may be. How, I'm a new coach, how, how, how do I meet people? Okay, so follow me or me follow them or how do they know about me? Yeah, perfect. So what's powerful about Twitter is that you don't have to have reciprocal relationships. You know how on LinkedIn and Facebook when you want to make a friend with someone, you have to send a request and they have to approve it? Well, on Twitter, that doesn't have to happen. On Twitter, you can go find whoever's of interest to you and you can follow them and they 
don't have to approve it. They don't have to say, yes, you can follow me. So uh-huh. what happens is you can go search on Twitter for thought leaders that you admire, for um, authors or speakers that you admire and want to follow. You can go look for celebrities that are of interest to you. You can go look for businesses that are of interest to you. Most businesses, most of the big businesses, have a presence on Twitter because they're starting to see the the power of um, using Twitter as a branding and customer service tool. Um, so you want to go find. You can go find colleagues that are of interest to you. You can go find people who are inspiring to you that you've seen quotes about them, by them, or you've maybe heard them interviewed somewhere, and you can just go look them up on Twitter and follow them, and they don't have to give permission for you to follow them. So that's what's great about that. It's like free information. Yeah. yeah. Um, but getting people to follow you, I mean, so it, it's always funny to me that, that that's like a goal. Yeah. <laughs> I got a thousand people following me. <laughs> Well, I know. It's true. It's true. I mean, you know, all these programs come out to you daily going, here, you want to get, you know, a whole bunch of people to follow you. Here, this is what you do. And is it of value? Right. And then you start to think that, oh, well, that must be how this game is played. I have to get followers. But in real life, it's not so much about getting followers as it's about creating so much value that you're putting out there that people are attracted to you. It's not the numbers of followers. You want people who are attracted to you and your message, which is why you don't want to ever go into one of those, you know, click here to get thousands of followers because everyone who clicks here has to automatically follow each other. You don't want that because you don't know who those people are, and they're not necessarily people who are attracted to you or your messaging. Well, and it's so, just like when you start a business, and I mean, if you are going to start a business, I mean, you, you have a target market. You know who it is right. that you're selling to. You write a book. You know who it is that you're writing it for. So you're not writing it for the world. You're writing it for right. a specific audience, and it's the same thing, right? You get on Twitter, you're looking and not for only, Well, not only is it, a, is, it, is it a target that you want to work towards on Twitter, but you also want to, with Twitter and any social media, you don't want to get on there until you have a strategy for why you're on there. You need to know why you're going on there. Um, mm-hmm. And just to get followers is not really a useful strategy in your business development. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, because you can, it's it's not that hard to get thousands of followers, but are they quality followers? Are they people who are going to be prospective buyers or prospective agents? And by agents, I mean people who will spread your message for you. And that's really where Twitter has some cool viral applications, which is that if you post something that's either really funny or really cool or really inspiring, people will retweet it. People will pass it along, and then their people will pass it along, and so on and so on. And it becomes your content can become viral very quickly. So how much time would you spend on Twitter a day? Um, I get that question all the time. I have a lot of third-party applications that I use to automate what I do, and so I'm only on Twitter, I'd say, twice a week, maybe oh, about okay. – 15 minutes a day twice a week is probably my average. Wow. So your book is going to teach us how to do all of that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the book really is, you know, it's it's saying, look, okay, when I wrote Seal the Deal, it was about the distinctions of networking, marketing, and sales. But mm-hmm. that the book came out three years ago, and the world has changed dramatically in these last three years yeah. in terms of social media and connectivity. and um, And so – None of this was in the book Seal the Deal. None of the stuff about social media because it just wasn't so it it wasn't so mainstream then as it is now. Okay, so we've got this this ebook coming out on Twitter for business coaches. You have a four hour audio program, um, Rainmaking Made Easy, and Rainmaking Made Easy 
is is for this audience of people who are looking for that integration of marketing, networking, and sales? Is that what that is? Yeah, so let me just share with you where you can find these things. So yeah, absolutely. If you want to know more about the book, Seal the Deal, then you go to sealthedealbook.com. And if you want to know more about Rainmaking Made Easy, you go to rainmakingmadeeasy.com. That's easy. <laughs> and if you want, that's easy. If you want access to the Twitter for Business Coaches product, which is an audio, it's, an, it's a one-hour download that comes with an e-book, that shares all the links and how to do it and how to be efficient about it. Um, that's at innovativeleader.com forward slash Twitter with Susie. And Susie is S-U-Z-I. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ebook is not out yet, so I don't have a link to tell you about that. But, the, but where you can find out about it when it does come out is at, just at my general site, which is suziepomerantz.com, because I'm sure I'll announce it there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will too. Okay, well, we we can't let you go without hearing about your the launch of the Library of Professional Coaching. What is this all about? So this was really um, a labor of love between um, several colleagues and I, and we started. I think we probably started talking about this five years ago. And um, Bill Berquist, if you do you know Bill Berquist? Uh no. I know Brett he was the, he founded the professional school of psychology out in Sacramento, and he and it was that was the first school that offered a doctorate in coaching. Okay. Um, he's really one of the he's one of the fathers of the coaching industry, I'd say, just a brilliant visionary genius of a guy. Anyway, um, he was the he was the the uh, brain trust behind the idea for the International Journal of Coaching and Organizations. He started that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But he stood up at one of these executive coaching summits one year and said, you know what, I think we really need to create some kind of a, a wiki, a searchable portal online for for really valuable coaching content. And maybe we'll call it a Coachopedia. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and so yeah. so he and I started talking about, well, let's let's put a business plan together. Let's create a Coachopedia concept. And it evolved over the years to become the library of professional coaching because as we brought more people in and and, um, one of the people who got involved with us and was really instrumental early on is Gary Schlafer um, from Mm -hmm. Choice Magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, so Choice Magazine really helped sponsor a lot as well as the Journal for Coaching and Organizations helped sponsor a lot of the build-out of the library. And really what the library is now is an online searchable database for really quality, vetted, and peer-reviewed content, trusted content around um, around coaching and organizations. So mm-hmm. if you go to libraryofprofessionalcoaching.com, on the left-hand side there's a whole bunch of categories, and each of those categories are um, what we have. We have articles in each of those categories, and we're continuing to build that collection. So, um you know, an offer I can make to you, Frankie, and to people that you know who have, con- you know, valuable content in these areas is that you can submit your content right online, um, right at librarieprofessionalcoaching.com in the top navigation bar, right around the center. There's something that says submit an article. Okay, yeah. So, you can submit. Yeah, you can submit articles there. It's not a place for content around life coaching. We may expand to that in the future, but right now it's focused on leadership coaching, executive coaching, and you'll see by the topics down the side, you know, it's things like coaching tools and trust and uh, neuroscience and yeah. um, team coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Networking, marketing, sales, all that stuff is in there. So 
return on um, investment, so, all of that good stuff. Best practices, great. Yeah, this is great. This is great. It looks really good. It looks really, and it looks, it's very user friendly. I oh, just, thank you. you. Know, I just popped it open right now, and you know, as we're talking, and it looks great. Yeah. And we're still okay. building it. You know, we just launched about a month ago, so we've probably got close to sixty articles in there now, and you know, it's it's an ever growing, ever expanding collection. Um, so as articles come in, we vet them. We have a whole vetting process that they go through, and um, and then we post only the best. So. So and, and it's people are, you know, they, they need to pay for these articles. Some of them. Um, the people who submit them don't need to pay to submit them, and the people who uh, want to access them and download them have yes. There's a membership fee for the library to access the collection. Okay. Um, okay. Well, that that yeah, that looks great. That looks so. If you are in the business, um, new or seasoned, there's there's lots of looks like lots of really great topics there um, for you to read about. And learn. That's awesome. The the leading coaches center is what is this? That's um, another labor of love. So, uh, leadingcoachescenter.com is a place where um, those who are senior seasoned practitioners in the field of executive coaching or business coaching or leadership coaching, whatever you want to call it, can come together. And that's a place that's a free place to join. And you just click on the join us tab at the top there. And you can sign up for free and create your profile. And it's basically an online community center where we can come together and ask questions, share best practices, discuss hot topics, because um, there are challenges that are unique to those of us who coach in business that there currently isn't an online place to, to discuss these things. So really it's when you think about going to coaching conferences or events, you get into these great, great conversations about um, all sorts of topics, and then you, and then everybody goes home and back to their offices, and you know you may pick up the conversations on phone in between on the phone in between conferences. But this allows us to have sustained conversations over time, you know, just with a few sure. clicks of the keyboard. Okay, I'm just going to go to that as we're talking too. I just had a little bit of a problem doing that. Um, it's yeah, leadingcoachescenter.com. Okay, leadingcoachescenter. So what do you think is happening with the industry of coaching? Do you think it's going to expand or are people um, – are they going? Or is it going to evolve into something else? Or what do you think is going to happen with coaching? Well, that's a really intriguing question. Um, and since my crystal ball is in the shop, I'll have to guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so I, I have some ideas. Um, I, you know, I guess we can play this back in a few years and see if I'm on track yeah. or not. But I, I think that what I'm seeing in the industry is that as coaching gets more and more mainstream and more and more valued in organizations as a strategic and integrated part of business operations, um, what's going to happen is that right now the coaching world looks like a number of solopreneurs, basically solo practitioners, mm -hmm. as well as some small boutique firms. And I think what we're going to start to see evolving as it becomes more integrated in the strategic operations of organizations is that um, the small boutique firms will start to um, glom together in professional partnerships or maybe even become larger firms. And it's gonna, we're going to start to see it more of a commoditized um, service offering. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more coming together. I'm already starting to see it. Some of the trends are building coaching alliances and, um, 
and it's not so much going to be a bunch of solo practitioners out there practicing in their own little coaching bubble anymore as it is going to be people coming together in um, in, in larger communities to be able to offer a, a more sophisticated and complex offering. Well, you know, I mean, on one hand, you look at this and you say, you're a coach. What do you... If you're out coaching, you don't have time to do the kind of networking and marketing and selling that, that your organization needs because you should be busy, <laughs> you know, with your client. And, and so that, that, that might be taking up some of your time. And so to merge or to join other organization and become a bigger organization and have other people look after some of those needs um, could be a really good thing. Uh, you get to offer, you know, birds of a feather, but also... Um, because you may not specialize in this and you specialize in networking and, and doing this and somebody else might specialize in, in something else. And so you get to offer a whole variety. Your firm gets to cover all the bases, let's say. Well, and not only that, but let's say I'm going into organizations that are um, at the 5 to $7 million range and I can solve the leadership problems or help them, guide them to solve their leadership problems at that range. But then I get an opportunity in a company that's uh, a half a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. I may not necessarily have the knowledge or skills or confidence to mm-hmm. go in and make a difference in that size organization. So I need to be networked with people who are comfortable playing at the half a billion dollar level, um, it, it, you know, and people that I can learn from as well. And right. so that's really the idea in the Leading Coaches Center is that, you know, some of us are at, at the point in our businesses where, you know, we know how to solve the the half a million dollar problem, but we have no idea how to solve the $25 million problem, um, or we have no idea how to um, create solutions for the half a billion dollar problem. And so if we can come together with other colleagues who have done that or who can do that, then not only do we get to contribute and get in that game at a higher level and learn and grow ourselves, but we get to um, we, we get to have more to offer our clients, right? So So any opportunity becomes yes, I can do that, as opposed to, well, no, that's beyond me. I can't do that. I think we spoke about this um, a couple months ago, Susie, and and, um, I think we did anyway. (laughs) My brain's brain's been a little bit crazy. Uh, The idea that coaching has become a dirty word in the industry. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Oh, we didn't talk about that? Okay. Um, We talked about sales being a dirty word. Okay, okay. I thought maybe I'd talk, because I had this, this, you know, little problem, we can call it a little problem, um, where, where, okay, people might not know what coaches are, but, but coaching has, you know, crossed so much in the business and with, with consultants and, and, and people, go, oh, well, you're just another consultant, you're just another whatever. And, and so I got to this point where I didn't want to be a coach anymore. I didn't like the word coach anymore. Mm. I, I wanted to, to, um, to make it something else, yet do the same thing, if you know what I mean. And I just felt that a lot of people were also tired of the word coach because everybody just said, oh, I'm a coach, I'm a coach, I'm a coach. Now, you and I have, you know, we're educated as coaches. We did go to school as coaches. We, you know, we we went to accredited um, institutions by the International Coach Federation. You know, we, we did we did our homework. We did our work. Um, but a lot of people think that you can just turn around and say, I'm a coach. Well, and you can because there's no barrier to entry yeah. in our profession, and that's one of that's my big right. complaints. Yeah, And I agree. But, you know, it's so funny because for years that conversation has been coming up in coaching conferences. And, and and so then the next question, of course, is, well, then what are we? You know, what is the new word? And do we make up a word or do we, you know, and so it just kind of, the conversation, in my experience, 
starts out with a lot of energy and then always peters out when you look at well, what we want to do about that. I know. And that that's always that's kind of been my, my dilemma this year. <laughs> I want no, I don't want to be a coach. I want to be a coach but I don't want to be a coach anymore. I don't know what I want to be. But I want to help people and that's you know, that's the bottom line. And and we do help people. So it doesn't matter what you call a rose, a rose is a rose, right? It still smells exactly. sweet. Exactly. Well, and I think, you know, I think for me, I, I kept trying to to add other words to coach to make it mean mm-hmm. something specific. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I call myself a directive coach because I don't just come with questions. I actually do bring something else to the table. Right, right. Or or I'll call myself a leadership coach or an executive coach or a business coach. You know, like I try to quantify it in some way so as not to be part of that market confusion of, you know, the broader profession of who are all these coaches, you know, because some are diet coaches and some are lifestyle coaches and some are you know, sales coaches, and there's so many different kinds of coaches out now that um, that you're right, it does dilute the meaning of the word because everyone everyone in any kind of advising capacity these days can call themselves a coach. Susie, so we are out of time. <laughs> this is, you've been listening to the voice of Susie Pomerantz, who's on the other side of this phone with me, and uh, you can reach her again. Susie, give us your website, please. SusiePomerantz.com, S-U-Z-I-P-O-M-E-R-A-N-T-Z.com. Thank you so much for being my guest this evening. It was wonderful having you. And for those who are listening later on, um, you can certainly archive this at any time now and in the future. And please go and visit Susie's site. She has so much on there that is such good stuff. Listen, take care. Thanks again for being my guest tonight. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. You've been delightful. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. And we'll see you next week on Mission Unstoppable Radio. Bye now. Introducing Finally, a new energy-efficient light bulb that reveals beauty in your home. Colors are true and natural, never washed out. It'd be extraordinary if you could see this light. But this is radio. What a pity. A light this stunning deserves better. I deserve better. (sighs) Finally, you'll love your light. Maybe a little too much. Available at Costco.